Hey everyone, you're listening to But Why the Podcast, the podcast where every week myself, Adrian, and Matt talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask a question about why though. Before we get started, I want to go ahead and tell you to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. It's the easiest way to support us. But if you want to support us a little bit more, head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash butwhythepc. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of But Why the Podcast. And today our episode is going to be bad and you should feel bad. Just kidding. It's about Futurama. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And in advance, I'm going to apologize for my weird sounding voice because I am getting rid of a chest cold. So there you go. And Adrian is leading today's episode. Yeah, we're here. And... I hope you don't feel bad after this episode. I don't think they will. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're covering Futurama because Futurama actually turns 20 years old on March 28th, which I was surprised to see. And I guess after we kind of cover some stuff today, you'll, you'll understand too why it might not feel like the show is 20 years old because um, it hasn't been continually running for 20 years, unfortunately. But we will get into all of that. Um, I couldn't think of like... I didn't want to go with, you know, our usual question of, do you know Futurama? Because I know that we all love animation and we all love comedy and we definitely all love space. So I just want, I assume that we like Futurama stuff. So what I will ask is, would you like to be frozen and wake up in the year 3000? Yes. All right. That was easy. Uh, (laughs) Go home, guys. That's, That's it. Any particular reason why? I want flying cars and tubes to go around so I don't have to walk anywhere. And have you seen outside? But then you couldn't scooter everywhere, Matt. I know, but still. Um, no, I wouldn't mind. Um, I'm sure it'd be great. I don't honestly know if we'll make it to the year 3000. To be I was honest. just about to say, I hope I would love to be frozen to the year three thousand, assuming we don't kill our planet. Hey, one way to find out, you get <laughs> and then I guess we'll see. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I want to be frozen in the year three thousand because of like I was going back through some of these episodes that Fry has to go through, and some of them are not very fun. Some of these episodes are not very fun. Oh no, wait, actually, can I take my dog with me? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, I I would do it if I could like shove more people into the tube with me. That's not how it works. The three dogs and Stefani. I think after that, I'm good. Nope, that's not how it works. Maybe, maybe none of it. How it works? Just Vader. (laughs) (laughs) I like Matt would be fine. My dog would be like sad. This is true, and we will talk about (laughs) that stuff. A little bit later. Um, okay, so we'll kind of just jump right into kind of like a br- brief history of the show and kind of like a background. Because even if you have no idea what 
Futurama is, which I'd be really, really surprised if like you're a pop culture fan and you've never watched Futurama. But hopefully by the end of this, you can kind of get an idea of what it is. And if you already love it, you can go back and rewatch it on the one streaming service and then cable TV because Netflix is terrible. So Futurama is an animated sitcom that takes place in the year 3000, which is why our intro question was centered on that. It basically has the main character, Philip J. Fry. He's frozen in time and wakes up in the 31st century. And the show essentially follows Fry, as he's commonly referred to. They don't really ever call him Philip. Um, as he works for an interplanetary delivery company called Planet Express. And it basically kind of takes us through those adventures. And the Planet Express uh, company is coincidentally run by his great nephew by like 10 greats, uh, Hubert J. Farnsworth or Professor Farnsworth. So the show itself was created by Matt Groening. I'm say, am I saying that right? Groening, is that correct? I have no idea because I'm pretty sure I messed it up in our Simpsons episode. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. I, I couldn't figure out like anyone who said it correctly because uh, everyone said it differently. But we're just going to go with Matt. Where's Alex? Alex had the right answer. Alex help. Um, in, so he created the show in 1999 for Fox Broadcasting Company. Um, Groning's a big name in the animated world. You might remember him from our Simpsons episode, like Kate mentioned, episode 52, because he's also the creator of The Simpsons. He's also created with things like the Life in Hell comic strip, um, and most recently on Netflix, Disenchantment. If, you, if you've seen Disenchantment, that's the same guy. So pretty, you know, pretty big, pretty big names there. Um, Grounding also brought in writer David Cohen, who has been the writer on Beavis and Butthead, The Simpsons, Futurama, and Enchantment. So these two have worked together for a very, very long time. And if you're familiar with The Simpsons, if you're familiar with Disenchantment as a show, you may kind of already have an idea of what kind of humor to expect from Futurama. Uh, Futurama itself is primarily kind of like workplace satire in the future, mixed with like off-color com uh, off-color humor, slapstick humor, some dark comedy, some self-deprecating humor, um, some smart nerdy humor, and things like that, uh, kind of in the vein of The Simpsons and kind of in the vein of Disenchantment, uh, just kind of different settings. And so if you remember from our Simpsons episode, you know, we know that the showrunners really do their research when they're making these shows. So there's a lot more than meets the eye when it comes to Futurama in terms of like the script, the plot, and the jokes. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later, about how this is a deceptively smart comedy when it comes to how they decide to write it. And the, as we've kind of talked about in other kind of animated episodes, the animation community is pretty tight knit. And I was actually surprised at the very small voice acting cast for Futurama. It's only done with a handful of voice actors and they basically do all of the characters in the show. So Billy West plays Farns, uh, Philip J. Fry, Professor Farnsworth, Dr. Zoidberg, Zap Brannigan. And Billy West does like a whole bunch of voices from like the nineties, but um, Stimpy from Ed and Stimpy is my favorite. So that's the one I went with here. I am uh, always amazed of the range of voice actors. Yeah. Like going, I didn't even know that like these people did these. So like going through these names, I was like, whoa, these don't even really sound all that similar. No. Um, whereas like in, you know, like family guy, like Seth MacFarlane's voice is kind of has like a certain amount of range and you kind of like, oh, that's kind of, that's, that's Seth right there. But yeah. if you would have told me that Zoidberg and Fry were the same voice and Zap Brannigan were all the same voice, I would have said, you're a liar. <laughs> Um, John DiMaggio plays Bender, Bending Rodriguez, and other minor characters like Hubert, Barbados Slim, Robot Santa, 
and he has a huge um, voice cast, you know, list. But more relevant, I think, right now is probably Jake from Adventure Time. Um, I threw that in there because I know Kate's reviewing the Adventure Time comic for the website. Maurice, I'm going to butcher this name. So if you want to help, you can. Maurice nope. La Marchi. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. So the problem is, is we don't hear how these names are pronounced. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's because so like weird. with, it's one of those things. Cause it's like, like in Rick and Morty, it's Rick Sanchez. Like I would never cry. I would never pronounce it Sanchez. Cause they never say that in the show. Right. Yeah. So like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to say that. So I'm sorry, Maurice, if you're listening to this episode, um, he plays Kiff and other minor characters like Lur, Calculon and Morbo. And he is the brain from Picking in the Brain and some other kind of minor roles. You also have Lauren Tom. I, I didn't know that one either. The Kiff makes sense, but like Lur and Calculon. Yeah, I thought Calculon would have been the voice, like the same guy who does Zach. Yeah, that's what I thought. But no, these dudes just have crazy. Okay. Rage. Yeah. This is interesting. Yeah. Then you have um, Lauren Tom who plays Amy Wong and other minor characters like Jer, Lur's wife, um, and Amy's Wong, um, Amy's mom. And then she has like a lots of like live television roles um, from like basically every kind of primetime television thing you can think of. She's played something in there somewhere. Uh, Philip Lamar, Hermes Conrad, and other minor characters like Preacher Bot, Bubblegum Tate, Robot God. And he's in a whole bunch of things. I think he's probably like the most recognizable. Like if you saw Philip Lamar on the street, you'd be like, oh, that's the guy. John Stewart. Yeah. John Stewart. Uh, Mad TV, I think, is like where he had like the biggest thing and kind of brings him into the public eye. Uh, but yeah, he has a huge, huge list of really, really great voices. And then finally, to round it out, we have Katie Siegel, who voices Leela. And she's actually the only person who only does one voice. Um, so she just does Leela and that's it. And then she's done lots of stuff too, but she's the biggest thing you know her from is from Peggy from Married with Children. It's probably or Sons of Anarchy. Where yeah, she's of Anarchy. Yeah. yeah. So basically it's just those, you know, people and they kind of round out all the voices. And this show has like two hundred and something different characters referenced, and it's the rest of the voices are usually rounded out by like real life people who they come in and voice themselves in the show essentially. And if you're like, well, how does, you know, someone like George Decay voice themselves in a, a show placed in the year 3000? Well, we'll talk about it later in the book. So who does Richard Nixon? I don't know who does Richard Nixon. Um, let me look it up for you. I feel like that's like a fairly easy voice to to mimic, though. Like that's a big one. <laughs> Billy West actually does it. So. Oh, okay, that's actually not surprising. Yeah. yeah, all you gotta do is say "I'm not a crook" over and over again. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, he does Richard Nixon as well. Look at oh. us being cultured and making Nixon jokes. <laughs> I want, yeah, I wonder if he does the body too. Does he do the body? Does he does does he do does Agnew voice? I gotta look that up. Hold on. Oh, that one's done by Maurice. So you know, curveballs left and right with his voice acting cast. So we'll go real quick into the production history because I think it has kind of a weird kind of production line compared to some of the other shows that we've talked about on our podcast. So if you're a cable TV watcher in the late '90s and into 2000s, you might have seen Futurama on a few different channels. Um, so like 
that's not a thing that you imagine. Like it had a really weird production cycle throughout its run on TV. So like we said at the beginning, it was made for Fox and it ran on Fox from 1999 to 2003. And basically it had kind of an erratic schedule. So like at one point in the show, it had three different time slots in one year. And for whatever reason, Fox just wasn't a big supporter of the show. And it eventually like leads to its cancellation after four seasons. I don't understand. Like you said, the types. Like, I don't understand how TV companies feel like your show doesn't get watched. I'm like, you can't just keep changing time yeah. slots. Yeah, and that was like pretty early. I think that was like season two or three that they changed the time slot like three times in a year. Like they wanted it, uh, the, the showrunners wanted it on a certain date, like right, right after I think Family Guy, and they, they just weren't having it. So they put it like on Tuesday at like eight for like a long time. So just really weird time slots. And technically, they didn't even really cancel it, they just kind of stopped buying episodes. So they just stopped funding it, which I guess they made a distinction. Like That oh, somehow right. seems worse. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> oh, so you didn't cancel it. You just stopped paying money for them to make the show. So how was that better? I don't know. However, it does kind of go into syndication. It's picked up by Adult Swim, and it basically runs an Adult Swim from 2002 to 2007. And this is around the same time that Adult Swim picks up Family Guy. Uh, so they're basically like running those two shows basically in syndication on kind of the early part of Adult Swim. And Adult Swim even wanted to buy new episodes. Like they were getting ready, they were ready to fund the the process for it, but Fox wasn't down and did not want to let Adult Swim um, go along with it. However, Turner Broadcasting Service, TBS, is basically owns Adult Swim. Is that how that works? I think they own Adult Swim, right? Maybe. They all, they own I am pretty sure that's how it works. Yeah, because I they, they also do the stuff with like TCM. So yeah, I think they like they like the TBS is like the big one there, and they kind of own all the things below it. So in two thousand four through two thousand seven, Adult Swim basically licenses out uh, licenses out the rights to the show for Futurama, and they basically run it like they do with Family Guy and American Dad. I can't believe this was so long ago. Yeah, it feels super long ago. Um, and I don't even like I can't even remember. Yeah, I mean, I can't even remember, like, because I've always thought I watched this on Fox or I watched this on Comedy Central, but I did watch some of this on Adult Swim. I did watch some episodes. I watched a ton on Adult Swim. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, I think I watched almost all of it on Adult Swim. Like, yeah. I don't know if I actually watched it anywhere else. And I remember it was Adult Swim because my mom used to not let me watch The Simpsons, but my dad loved watching Adult Swim for Family Guy and Futurama and that stuff. And so my brother would just watch it with her. I'm like, really? This stuff is like way worse than The Simpsons. And yeah. I wasn't allowed to watch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. So that. I remember watching on Fox the first like season or two. And then after that, gone. It was also back when like I actually watched TV. But then, yeah, I watched probably a majority of it on probably Adult Swim. I actually did watch some of it on TBS because TBS actually had a decent syndication lineup that like that midday. Yeah, the midday lineup for TBS was actually baller. Like, that yes. was, like, the thing. Like, if you had cable and you could watch that midday TBS lineup, you didn't have to watch Judge Judy and stuff. And that was a huge game changer. For yeah, me. from, like, 2 to, like, 5 o'clock on TBS, from, like, 2000 and probably 4 to, like, 2010 or something like that is great. Yeah, yeah, good, good times, good times. However, Comedy Central kind of scoops into the rescue and basically picks up Futurama for a season five. And they basically renew it from a, through a season seven. And this is basically kind of like the primary primary place where you're going to be able to watch Futurama and syndication is on Comedy Central now. Um, 
the fifth season's kind of weird because they had like this talk with Fox that once they kind of knew that Comedy Central was going to pick it up, um, they were like, okay, well, let's make some movies. And then Comedy Central was like, okay, I guess. So they basically made four straight-to-DVD movies, and Comedy Central essentially released them as TV edits for their fifth season. So the fifth season is basically just four movies cut up into four episodes each, essentially. So like the whole season is just one back-to-back, like you know, part one, two, three, four, another part one, two, three, four, another part one, two, three, four, with Bender's Big Score, The Beast with a Billion Backs, Bender's Game, and then into the wild green yonder are those. So if you're and they wonder why people why, don't want to like watch TV, cable TV anymore or anything. Yeah. So I was gonna say like because I didn't even know that that was a thing. I thought they I did. did. I just thought they released them like that, <laughs> and because they were trying to bring it back and Comedy Central likes to do. It like wasn't that. until I believe it came either in syndication per se. I don't remember what it was, but they did it when they showed them because they would show it as like the movie. And then I realized, like, hey, I've already seen these movies. Because I thought it was later they came back and said, they're movies. And so, like, then as I watched it, I was like, but these are just episodes that I've already seen. This isn't a movie. And that's how I... They made it weird on the Netflix stuff, didn't it? Yes. I think it's probably where I saw it. Because I remember later down the line, it came back and they're like, this is the movie. But then you watched it and you're like, but this is literally just episodes. And so it made it all weird. Yeah, it's weird. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Like, I don't know what other, you know, animation has made, it, like, straight-to-DVD movies. And they're like, oh, just kidding. We're just going to do this as an entire season. For our season. Um, there's a few shows, I guess, depending on how you do it, that have done that. I know, actually, we didn't talk really bring it up, but How You Train Your Dragon actually has two, like, or three, like, shorts that are technically short movies. But they're literally ran together. Like, you can watch them in, like, four episodes, but they consider them short movies. Yeah, that's the only other one I could think of, only because we have recently done High Train Dragon. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, th- I think it was just like an interesting choice for them to for Fox to do it, just because like, oh, you know, the fans really wanted this to come back, and they're like, okay, we'll just give you movies. And yeah, I mean, I don't remember 2010 watching Futurama on Comedy Central. Like, like I, I wasn't sitting up late at night waiting to watch the next episode of Futurama, like as a kid. So I don't know like how the fans liked this take or not. But it does make it a little bit weird when you're going back to rewatch it. Because I've been rewatching episodes during the week, um, and this particular season was a little weird to watch because you kind of had to like, okay, well, it was like, okay, here's what's going to happen next week, kind of thing. Yeah, so I think I watched it when it initially came back on Comedy Central season five. So all of this stuff I initially watched as it was released because I still had cable for like another year. But then uh, I think as they moved into season. Six and seven, I obviously did, ended up didn't see those till later when they came on Netflix. But I do remember season five when it first got announced at Comedy Central. I'm actually like, I'm going to follow Futurama again. And then I realized I don't like commercials or waiting a week for one 30-minute episode that's technically 22 minutes. Yeah, for sure. So you might also now see Futurama on Sci-Fi because they're like the most recent people to pick up the uh, syndication rights. So basically Comedy Central and Sci-Fi. I think there's like some Chicago, what's the Chicago channel? Uh, there's like Chicago or something. Um, I know what channel we're talking w, about. Like WGN? Yeah, You can also see it like on the WGN, but I never had the WGN in El Paso. So like I never watched. I just remember watching like old, like watching Cubs games on there. That's I, remember I, I remember watching on there. Cheers and Becker. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like basically Comedy Central Sci-Fi and I think still WGN. I don't know if you're still watching WGN and you listen to our podcast. This is a very niche group. Um, and, <laughs> but, WGN matters, but why though? But those are basically like the main places you can see it like on TV. And you used to be able to see it on Netflix, as Matt mentioned earlier, but they canceled it and you can't see it on Netflix, but you can still see it on Hulu. But I guess you can go rewatch Office reruns and Friends reruns, but you can't watch Futurama. But you know, that's yeah. Netflix had that massive like elimination of all like adult animation. Yeah, yeah. Ba- and and basically, was... all of like kind of like the heavy hitters too. And Futurama was just, I think, the one of the last ones to be on that chopping block, which was very, very sad for my nighttime watching. Yes, that's one thing that definitely worked. Um, so you talked about too present. So. Do we think it's coming back in 2019? I know there's been talk about them coming back from the sci-fi stuff. I just don't know if it's actually been confirmed or denied. Yeah, I couldn't find anything that was confirmed. I know that they kind of brought it back last year with that, that audio podcast thing. And then they bought it back in like 2017 as like a mobile game and things. So I don't want to hold my breath that they're going to bring it back on sci-fi. I hope they don't bring it back on sci-fi because I don't have cables. So I wouldn't be able to watch it. Um, but I know that there's, there's rumors for it, but it's like, I think it's at this point, it's one of those things where you kind of have those rumors like every year. Um, well, I, I think if, if anyone does it, it'd have to be sci-fi, right? Because like that, that's kind of their channel. Um, so maybe, maybe not. I think the only thing I really saw is I think main rumors got picked up. I think last year it was when Matt, uh, at a convention had said, um, talked about like coming new episodes or something like that. Yeah, Matt also didn't think that it was ending after season seven either. Yes, <laughs> so it's kind of hard to tell. Like, and I know that they, I'm pretty sure that they want to bring it back because they're good at doing the show. Um, I would hope so, but I'm I'm not going to hold my breath that they're going to be bringing it back anytime soon. I, I feel like it's probably. I think with the net, I think with Disenchanted, I think it like I think they want more, but I think with being tied up in Disenchanted, I think that that also may tie their hands. Well, I don't know if they'll tie their hands as much only because Disenchantment's only getting like. But they have 10 episodes last season. No, that's fair. I just mean Netflix-wise. Like, Netflix oh, yeah. like Netflix locks in their people into contracts that they can't do anything anywhere else if they want exclusive yeah. content. Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. I mean, there's, like, lots of Futurama uh, like references in Disenchantment. So, like, if they brought it yeah. to Netflix, I'd be all behind it. But I think just because yeah. of all of their licensing, like, rights that they just kind of went through in the last couple of years, I don't know if we'll be able to get it or not. Well, yeah, no, and that's why I'm saying, like, I don't think they will that we'll get yeah. new things overall. Because I think a lot of the contracts, that's why, like, in a lot of the Netflix, Netflix originals, you'll see a lot of people, um, like, actors going over in different in different shows or different movies continually it's because they sign contracts with netflix kind of like how disney signs like for the mcu versus the like it's exclusivity things especially for like producers and stuff like that yeah that makes a lot of sense Um, so i guess if we don't come back matt is i think is like the better question there like would you would you want to watch more episodes or would you worry that we kind of have like that comedy central treatment where like to be honest, season five and season six aren't as good as seasons one through four. And I think no, they're, they're not. Um, so I want it to come back. I don't know. Um, honestly, I wouldn't mind having it come back. But saying that, obviously, five and six seasons are not that great. Seven, okay, a little better. But also, I guess for me, as much as I want it back, it's one of the few season or shows, at least the way they wrap up, this series finale is actually really good in my opinion. Yeah, 
and both times, and we, we kind of, I kind of have some of that kind of towards the end with how well they write the show. Um, and I think you're completely right that like, I'm fine with the way it ended back in season four and I'm fine the way it ended in season seven. So like, I don't, but then I also like, okay, well they can also do it again. Right. Yeah. In season 10, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. It's one of those shows that like they've wrapped it up so well that I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. to stopping. I wouldn't mind, you know, watching some more, but like they ended it well. Yeah. Just give us more movies. Just kidding. Don't do that, please. Um, okay, so we'll kind of jump into some, but why those, and I don't, I mean, these are pretty quick, to be honest, I mean, this is only a seven season show that ran basically to 2013, and a lot of it kind of runs based on its ability to, uh, to be honest, like the big but why those here are the writing, um, but we'll start with kind of just like its success as a show, as we usually do, and it's successful despite all of its production craziness, so it's a total of seven seasons, and it encompasses 140 episodes. Ratings as far as series, and this is, look, I couldn't really find kind of like season-based ones, but as like me and Matt just said, there's definitely better seasons depending on where you're looking. But IMDb has the series at 8.5, Rotten Tomato has the series at 95%, and the kind of Google user rating has the series at 95%. Season-wise, like one through four, it's kind of heralded as kind of like the best, where five and six, just kind of with, I think them kind of into the groove of Comedy Central is a little bit lower. Um, so I don't think five and six really fall into this rating, but I think seven is, you know, like an eight or so. Um, yeah, that's what kind of does suck, because seven ends being the last one, but seven kind of they got back into the groove of what they're yeah, doing. I actually really enjoyed right. seven. Yeah. It's obviously not one through four, and definitely not five and six, but seven, you can tell that like, we're getting back to what we're doing. Yeah. As I also the, think it's like not as steep of a drop off as say like Simpsons after the golden years, right? Because then it just goes yeah. completely. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say too. Like, yeah. and I think this is because there isn't that big of a drop. So like even when we talk about our SpongeBob episode, like where there's like a definite drop after like season four, um, I don't think Futurama nearly has that much. I think that it is still good, but you don't get kind of like the heavy hitting kind of Yeah, it's like slightly it's like slightly less good. Yeah. Compared to uh, what it was before, but it's not terrible. As as the only certified Rotten Tomatoes person um, on the episode, um, are you fine with a 95% cake? Yeah, oh yeah. I'm completely fine with 95. Awesome. Good. Just throwing in the plugs. Good job. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of honors, you know, like I said, it didn't run for very long, so it didn't have, you know, the time to kind of accumulate the honors that, say, like a Simpsons or the Family Guy or even like the SpongeBob was able to accumulate, but it still has some in its name. So it's had nine, nine Annies, six Primetime Emmys, and two Writers Guild Awards, and a lot of it is surrounded on its animation because the animation kind of took some strides in how they decided to do it, and then the other parts of it were... Uh, basically for the voice acting is where they win a lot of their awards. So animation and voice acting is where they get a lot of their stuff from in terms of the uh, Annie's and primetime Emmys. I think that's, I mean, obviously I wish they had more awards, but I still think that's pretty decent considering like it got thrown around so much and went in and out of like everything. Yeah. I think I mean six Emmys for being on two networks and having like, you know, what was like a three year gap. I think that's still pretty, pretty damn good. But then also like begs the question of like, well, if it had six Emmys, why'd y'all cancel it twice? I don't know. That's the same thing that we, if we, when we, if we ever do, which we we'll probably eventually get around to like a family guy episode, like that weird stage with Fox picking up these shows that didn't want to do anything with them and then what to do with them. Well, we got the Simpsons, I guess. 
Because <laughs> yeah. Family Guy's beginning starts almost just like Futurama's. It's on Fox and gets canceled like immediately, and then has like a two, three year gap, and all of a sudden it's back, and then it's like now like might never end. Yeah, it's one of those ones where I feel it's about to get that Simpsons treatment where it's just going to keep on going and going and going. So in terms of kind of rankings, I think the two biggest ones I found, I know it's old and I know it's from 2009, but we've used it on basically everything else we've done animation episodes. So the IGN top 100 animated shows from 2009 has uh, Futurama as number eight and one through seven. So Simpsons, number one. Batman, the animated series, number two, Looney Tunes, number three, South Park, number four, Beavis and Butthead, number five, The Tick, number six, Family Guy, number seven, and then Futurama, number eight. And the showrunners, particularly the ones that we've talked about, so Cohen and Groning have hands in three of the top ten shows on the list. So I think that's pretty good and relevant. And it's also a weird list. It is a weird list. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I put oh, South Park and Beavis and Butthead with uh, Looney Tunes, but sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know. Which we've talked about the... before. Separate adult animation from regular animation, or like kids yeah. animation. So in that kind of same-ish vein, Rolling Stone, I forgot what year this was, and I'm sorry, Matt, but I think it was like 2015 or something like that. Something around there. I have to click on the link to see it. Um, but we have a link to that in our show notes. But the Rolling Stones ranked at 30th in their top 40 best sci-fi shows. And rounding out the top five for that is Star Trek, Twilight Zone, Battlestar Galactica, Doctor Who, and The Prisoner. But it still ranks 30th on their top 40 list. And it basically has all of the big sci-fi shows that you could think of were, were on that list. Yeah, was that one from 2016? Yeah, so I try to find something a little bit more relevant than an IGN article from 2009. But... We've had it in the, the show for two years, so it's not going anywhere. Just to clear that up, it was definitely used by you and Kate. Well, hey. haven't done any animation ones. <laughs> hey, sorry. Yes, Archer I have. Okay. I did Archer and Bojack Horseman. Neither of those were able to be on that list. Okay, Matt. Exactly. <laughs> of course not. They weren't even around. Well, actually, Archer might have just started. Nope. Actually, no, it went around. Nope. <laughs> hey, well. I'm sure it'd be on the list, buddy. I'm sure it's on the list. IGN, what are you doing? Come out with another list, please. So much good animations come out. We need another list. Or should we make a list? On Ooh, I'd be down. Ooh, I'd be really down for that, actually. <sighs> That's actually a really good idea. Can we do that? Right? How many like, are we doing? A hundred animations, dude. A hundred between Netflix, Hulu. Do we have all three of us combined for a hundred animations? Yeah, I probably. Think. Okay, so the next question is: Are we doing a hundred animations, including like adult and children's animation? No, no, no. We just complained about it. Okay, let's. Well, do I know that's what I'm saying. I don't think there's a hundred adult animations okay. out so there. Like, yeah, so like top fifty adult animations and top. You think there's fifty? Yeah, children's animations. I know there's 50 children, but I'm talking about 50 oh, adults. Man. Top 25 adults anime. No, there's 50. You watched you watched Adult Swim back in the day. There's 50 of them in there. there. Might not be good. Whole movies gotta be in there. <laughs> oh gosh. I did enjoy whole movies. Whole movies is good. Yeah, we could do it. Robot chicken. Oh god. Yes, we need to do this. I can do that. And you can find all of this great article content at bewaythepodcast.com. Plug, plug, plug. Yeah. Eventually, we'll have that top list, and we'll, you know, be the first thing on the list instead of IGN's article from 2009. So that part is that really interesting to see where The Simpsons actually falls on that list. Yeah, probably would not be number one. At least I don't even know, but depending on how big it might not even be in my top ten. I don't even like The Simpsons. Yeah, I don't think it's on my top ten either. Sorry, 
Sorry, Alex. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, same. Same. It, 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 the only reason it would be anywhere close is because my mom didn't let me watch it. It'd only be close because we it's have to taboo. put it there as dual, like, it's required. It has to be on there. If we yeah, had list without The Simpsons, people would riot. Ugh. Would it be easier to just do, like, a tier list? Like fighting game style. Actually, no, that would be really cool. That like, way people don't get mad at like the number we put. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Nah, I'd rather make them riot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> so, kind of moving on from its success, um, I, I saw a lot of like articles and things like that. Even some like research articles uh, called like the following of. Futurama like a cult following, but I don't know if I really agree with that too much because I don't think I've ever really met anyone who doesn't like Futurama. That would um, be a cult following. Yeah, but like isn't like no, cult following cult like it wasn't as popular when it first came, but it was pretty popular when it so first came out. It means, well, I would... it means that it either wasn't it either it could have been really popular, but it could have had such a small release, like only people knew it and all the people who saw it liked it. Or it could be one of those things that came out and not a lot and had wide release, but only a couple of people liked it. And now in retrospect, they like it. So it can be either or. But I don't think Futurama falls into either one of those things. The only thing I would say is probably because it could come up with that just because at 99 to 2003 and the fact that it's like it has that three year gap in which everybody still talks about it. But it watches like syndication, but there's actually no new episodes. That's yeah, fair. and that, that's, that's why fair. that's why I have here. Like, I think the cult following comes from its syndication success because everything that I read said that like, even though it dropped off and even wasn't on Comedy Central yet, so many people still watched it in syndication. And Comedy Central and Fox kind of noted that uh, Matt has some articles like where he talked about you know people still watch it in syndication, so that's why we kind of push to bring it back. I think it's kind of in that league that like of the Family Guy and. American Dad, where like people want to see it, so other companies are picking up the syndication rights for it. So like Sci-Fi and but it's not w- like Friends, yeah. Oh, because I mean, if you look at it really, ah. as far, it would totally be probably cool following because based on because I know we talked about it, we kind of skipped over and we kind of already don't really. So we're looking at two thousand and three, probably all the way to two thousand and ten before there's actually a new episode, though. Yeah. So that is actually a huge gap. Yeah, 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 no, that's fair. Again, I I only watched it on Adult Swim. I only ever got the complete one. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. People watching Adult Swim, we thought we, you know, especially for people who just didn't, you know, Adult Swim coming, but, like, there was no new episodes. Yeah, I I think the uh, the numbers for it, when it hit hit Comedy Central, like, the first episode that premiered was, like, the highest-rated Thursday night in – you know, in their history, it might, still might be like one of the highest rated Thursday nights when it kind of brought back because people were still waiting for it to come back, even though they were basically watching a movie that was like already there. So it's it's just not, I don't think it's like the cult following in the way that we've covered cult followings before, which I think kind of threw me off. But I think you're right, Matt, the syndication part of it kind of really brings it into that realm. And I think the other part of it is basically like spongebob futurama has a lot of references and memes that are used basically all over the internet and are normally quoted in our chats together so things like why not zoidberg was a big meme in the early 2000s even though why not zoidberg is never uttered in the entire show of futurama which i had no idea that was the case i didn't either (laughs) holy shit (laughs) very weird um you know one that you see all the time anytime Apple 
or you know some other product comes out shut up and take my money um we started off our episode today with your thing is bad and you should feel bad um and Farns- i don't want to live on this planet anymore yeah farnsworth i don't want to live on this planet anymore you know the not sure fry the one with the squinty eyes he's not sure what what the thing is um and i think matt's personal favorite and also one of my personal favorites is you know with blackjack and hookers this is the <laughs> best one ever this is my favorite thing time. ever they say it like almost every episode i just cut it out <laughs> start my own thing with blackjack and hookers forget the other thing we'll just, we'll just we'll just do the blackjack and hookers yeah so you know there, there's a whole bunch of them and there's really really too many to, to kind of I do want to throw in. There's one. Throw in. I do want to throw in one that I'm sad did not take off as much as I wanted it to. But the remember me, um, oh remember me, God. especially when Coco was coming around, that, and that's all I could think about. That wasn't had, going to take off, Matt. That wasn't going was, to take off. You just didn't want it to. Take Stop off. trying to make fetch happen. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> remember me. Yeah, I'm with it. I like it. And Both and Alex that crap. Um, Blackjack and Hookers is by far my favorite one. Um, your thing is bad and you should feel bad. Well, pro- it's definitely my second one from this, and it's probably my top five of what I've all used ever. Yeah, that's why I mean these were the ones like I immediately up off my head without any Googling. Like these are the ones that came up to my head, and <laughs> these are my favorite. I actually think Death by Stacy is like one of my favorites. Yeah. I enjoy that one. I, like, I love it. So one, uh, when Wonder Woman was first announced, and they had all the ath- like all the pictures of like the really ripped like Amazons, everybody was just sharing that picture with that. So you mean everybody yeah. but the actual Wonder Woman? Uh huh. But and then on top of that, um, I just really really like it. It's such a good episode, and I say it when I can. New <laughs> new. Yeah, it's good. Good episode. Oh, so many good episodes, which kind of gets me into like my next and probably the but why that's going to take up the majority and like kind of the rest of our time today is that it has smart, relevant and deep writing. And we'll kind of cover the three of those um, as they come. So we'll start with with smart. So like we talked about in our Simpsons episode, there are a lot of like math references and references that you probably wouldn't think would be there. Um, mainly because like a lot of the writers for Futurama have like PhDs and like masters in in science and applied mathematics and things like that. So I'll go through a couple of them. You could basically spend all day looking at all of the references that happen in Futurama that you probably would miss if you weren't a science or STEM person. Um, but here are just some of my things that kind of hit the point that this is smart writing um, kind of at its best. So the prisoner of Benda episode where the characters basically switch bodies and they're struggling to kind of get back to the original bodies because they can't figure out, you know, who's going to be left out. Writer Ken Keller, who has a PhD in applied mathematics, basically came up with a theorem that is shown on screen that is correct. Like it's an actual theorem that he created for this episode. And mainly because fans, as we kind of all know in fandom, have a real big issue and love to kind of find faults and things. So he created an actual theorem to make sure that the math was correct when they were switching all the bodies back to how it originally should be based on how many people had switched bodies in that episode. For doing some of the reading, like it says it says it's a simple theorem, but like I don't make mathematical theorems for a living. So it was a very long thing and I'm sure it kind of stop those people in their tracks from kind of being like, well, I'm actually 
that wouldn't have actually worked. There would have been uh, three more bodies to snatch uh, before it would have worked. In Luck of the Frywish, we'll talk about a little bit later on, the Planet Express crew goes to a racetrack, and they have two horses that finish neck to neck. And in order to determine the outcome of the race, the officials use an electron microscope and announce that number three is the winner in a quantum finish. And then the professor basically says, no, no fair. You changed the outcome by measuring it. And in this instant, Professor Farnsworth is referencing the observer effect, which by, by reading this again, I feel like we've talked about the observer effect before, maybe like Ant-Man or something. But since Matt is our registered and qualified scientist, I'm going to let him talk about the observer effect and why like that is such a good line in the show. Okay. I like how all this always happens. We all just like dump this stuff on me. But as far as the understanding I know from the observer effect, it's basically when you're trying to obviously observe something and you're most like in most cases, what happens is your instrument that you are using to observe it actually changes the outcome. The common one would be like uh, uh, measuring your air tire pressure. Cause basically in order to do that, you have to actually let you know, like pressure out of your tire to then measure it. So therefore you had already changed it. Um, another one's like when you're observing things kind of in the dark, because you have to, obviously you can't see, so you need to have some white light to observe things in which therefore light is actually on the stuff. Uh, probably the most common one that I've known for this kind of, and pretty sure it falls in this would be the, um, I don't know exactly if it's necessarily observer effect per se, but it's like the closest thing that I'm pretty sure it is which is the, there's a lake underneath the glaciers and I believe it's the Antarctica, which they're trying to find out, like find bacteria and what's actually down there. But the only way to do that is to actually like puncture into the ice, into the lake. And so by doing that, you're then letting stuff into the lake. And so there's like no way to actually observe this without actually changing the results. Most of the stuff is done in physics in which they're so minute that they don't, they're kind of calculated out, but there are obviously instances where that's what it is. Yeah. Quantum theory and things. All I was thinking about was Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> yeah. Which is basically probably another one. Yeah. Yeah. Which there are like a bunch of references to. They even like when they go back in time one time, like they meet like they meet Schrodinger on like the, like this episode. Yeah. So basically um a very like small minute line in the show, right? But like if you love you know, physics, that might be a line that kind of catches you off guard and one that you like a whole bunch. Um, some other examples, showrunners basically created a language called Alienese for the show, and the fans figured out the cipher the first time around, which is a pretty simple cipher from what they were saying. So they basically created a second version of the cipher, which was supposed to be more complicated, but they still figured it out anyway. So they basically created like a third cipher that no one's have um no one's been able to figure out and they basically are just saying like oh it's just gibberish now but who knows so they basically created a language and basically changed the, the cipher twice um to be able to kind of throw off fans because like i said before they love looking at stuff even though it's very minute and finding out things so they basically created a language for the show some other kind of minor references that kind of show up in the background in several episodes of futurama bender Visit studio one to the second power, two to the first power, three to the third power. And this multiplies to 54 and is basically a reference to studio 54 in um, our time. They also constantly use number 1729, which is used from things from like Nibbler's ship to Bender's operating number, like a whole bunch of other things. 
and the number uh, 1729 is the Hardy Ram Ramajan Ramhud Ramahan. Do I pronounce the J? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, looking at it, I defer to the linguist in all things, but. It's essentially known as the taxi cab number, and they use it, you know, like a dozen times in the show. And apparently, it's supposed to be a special number. I don't know because I don't do numbers, so I'm just going to defer to Matt one more time of me throwing something at him and hoping that he knows what it is. So I understand why this is, but it's not like I actually had to look and read and see why this is because it's basically. It, I guess it's cool, but it's not like that cool to me. It's kind of saying so. Basically, they had two mathematicians. One was going to the hospital. He rode in a taxi cab. He's you know, to the other one, I rode in the taxi cab 1729, and it just was such a dull number. And the other one referenced going, it's not a dull number. It's the smallest number that can be, it can take two cubes to add up to the number, which basically says, like, um, you can take one cubed plus 12 cubed, and it equals 1729, or you can take nine cubed plus 10 cubed, and it also equals 1729 and they're basically that's the smallest one that you can do that with uh, they also reference i think later in the show some of the other cube numbers like that with some of the numbers like bender i think takes a taxi cab with like a huge number that references other ones where you can do like i think it's three numbers that are cubed together yeah it's cool like... and they're fun little math facts but i mean as far as like it's just there because they were mathematicians and they had a conversation taught which like it shouldn't be surprising just because given the amount of math that goes into the um, the Simpsons, um, I mean because there are whole books of that written. Um, yeah, it, it makes sense that it would travel to here too. Yeah, and Futurama being like you know in the future, I think gives them a lot more freedom to kind of just throw things in like this, regard like crazy crazily. Yeah. Like I said, like you can just spend all day googling the kind of things that they throw in there. Um, they do a lot of science things in there as well. Obviously, we saw the physics and math stuff, but they do do like uh, science uh, problems and everything else that are pretty fun throughout the show. Yeah, lots of lots of those things, and even things like minutely, like um, in the episode like where they're filing, following that like that interdimensional space whale. He's like, was like Mor <laughs> uh, Morbius Dick instead of Moby Dick Moby because Dick. he's a four dimensional whale. Uh, so like just things like that, like they are not afraid to kind of throw those things in there. And I think it just kind of adds to the show, like where they kind of have the comedy being smart, like to support the, the like the nerds, but not to spite them, if that makes sense. Like, does that make sense? Like, I know like a lot of people don't like Big Bang Theory because it's like, oh, you're making these jokes, you know, to spite people who love things like this. I'm not one of those people because I love Big Bang Theory, but I know that's like a thing people say and kind of to slight it. But I think Futurama doesn't fall into that kind of same kind of criticism yeah i mean so far as i know too it's also i just don't understand that like i under so i understand the big bang thing because they do a weird thing with actual like science and then you have like nerd culture over here and they're not really like there's not really consultants on nerd culture but there's a like the miriam bialik she's an actual like freaking neurosurgeon or something like a neuroscientist so like you have act like their science is checked but here, it, it's essentially a good Easter egg versus a bad Easter egg, right? Like, like something that hits you and you resonate because you're like, oh, I know that that, like, I get that reference. That reference works here. It's being used the right way versus getting hit over the head with it. Kind of how I think about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I'll uh, I'll bring it up now since you it looks like 
I'm sorry, I, was, I thought it was gonna be in a deep episode we did. But as far as like the science stuff, they do pretty cool. They do an episode on evolution, actually a few of them, all the time, make reference into that. Uh, they make fun. Obviously, academia is always made fun of in there, which is. I great. love the way they present academia they, in here. It's very it, accurate. It is so accurate and so bad. I remember they hire somebody to like save the earth. And he's like, "Do I get tenure?" And he's like, "Okay, you get tenure." And he's like, "Oh, I'm done. I don't do anything. You guys can all die." <laughs> But yeah, uh, anything between him and Warren Strom <laughs> is always fun. Uh, but like some of the science ones, the evolution ones are pretty good. They actually go to another planet with like robots finding like uh, kind of and develop. They kind of cause a robot genesis, I guess per se, and they kind of show how it goes. Um, they do the missing link a lot, are probably the two major ones I can think of. But they do quite a bit of like science and kind of relating that to like different types of things throughout the seasons yeah, as well. I think the most relevant one that I can think of, top of the top of my head, from my my quick rewatch, um, was the global warming episode. Yes, we're right. like, <laughs> in the year like twenty eight, like twenty eight, whatever. They decided just to drop giant ice cubes in the ocean. And then when the like girl is like, oh, what about They're like no, this is the end. This is how we're doing it, and like just <laughs> yells at them. And like greenhouse gases are basically like, getting like are like thugs. That's such a just a great way to show how global warming works and a probable outcome of the future. Oh, well, then they do with the whole thing of like they realize they run out of ice cube from Haley's comet, which is awesome. <laughs> and so they yeah. basically decide we have to ship the Earth back like five degrees or something. It's one yeah. of those things because it feels absurd when you watch it and then you remember that a guy brought a snowball into Congress. Yeah. So <laughs> then it's like maybe that's not so out of the realm of possibilities. But yeah, no, they do do a lot of science and a lot of stuff. Like I said, obviously this was more of the math stuff, but I, when I watched it, I noticed a lot of like the math theories and laws and stuff that they uh, noticed. Yeah. So, and even past that, even past kind of like all like the really cool math and science things that they do, they're still really good at writing episodes. And one way that they kind of show this is the smart way they do it is through their foreshadowing. And by like foreshadowing, I literally mean like shadows in the background. Um, so like the most obvious of this is like the present uh, presence of Niebler, who is like what we think a is a perfect baby. Yeah, perfect baby who we think is just you know uh, Leela's pet, but is actually a very very smart you know alien. Um, and Nibbler, there's like a shadow of Nibbler under Fry's chair when he travels to the future in the first episode, and as an event. It's finally explained in season four, the why of Fry. So did that actually happen? Because I can't remember if that actually was like, I know they explain it that way. But in the very first, because I haven't seen the very first one because it was hard to find for a while, especially at thing. Like, I watched it on Hulu. I don't know if it was like added after the fact, but I watched it on Hulu the other day. And there was definitely like a quick shadow there of like him getting pushed like under under the thing. But I know like for sure, like Leela's parents are in the background in a lot of the sewer scenes. And then like yes. two years later, they have their introduction. So because of that, I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know if it's added after the fact, I really don't know. But I know in the episode that I saw on Hulu, there was the shadow there. But they even show like Leela's parents in the background and also like her parents' shadows in some of the scenes as well. And another great thing that the show does is kind of gives you background on some of like even the side characters. So even though Bender isn't, you know, the very main main character we still get foreshadowing stuff from him even if it turns into like a joke between the writers they find a way to kind of bring it back in so when bender becomes a robot wrestler i think is in season two i think he introduces himself as america from from being from america's heartland mexico <laughs> and this has 
then this becomes like several references to Bender being from Mexico, specifically from Tijuana. And a full season later, when we, we find out Bender's full name is Bender Bending Rodriguez, and then they have a whole episode with him and Hermes, like where he's like basically built in Mexico. So there's even foreshadowing between kind of like the side adjacent characters as well with things like So we'll that. say we do need to probably mention bite my shiny metal ass since we completely yeah. skipped over that one. And that one was like probably like that, that's a really big one. That's yes. like eat my shorts essentially. Yeah. Yes. I was yeah. gonna say that to enter the show, but it didn't feel right. <laughs> yeah. If if you if you don't know, Bender says shite bite my shiny metal ass multiple times throughout the show and it's actually his first multiple words. times like per episode per yeah. show <laughs> yeah it's actually his first words ever as a baby robot as he has a beer so we'll kind of move on to the next part of it being them them being them using like kind of referential humor and kind of staying relevant even though it's set in the year 3000 so since fry is from the 90s it allows the show to throw in decades old jokes and references um and there's like obviously way too many of these kind of jokes to count but I think a really good way that they are able to do this and it doesn't seem weird that this happens a thousand years in the future is that Futurama brings in a lot of guest actors on the show to play themselves and they're usually floating heads in a jar. Um, so like Leonard Nimoy, Conan O'Brien, Al Gore, Gary Gygax, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons when they had that whole episode or series of episodes where they're basically playing D&D. &D. Uh, Stephen Hawking, Adam West, Larry Bird, Buzz Aldrin I threw in there because we just recorded an episode about Apollo. Um, and even David Cohen, the, one of the writers of the show, plays himself. So they're they are able to kind of reference things back to when things are happening when you're watching the show in 1999 through 2013 um, by basically putting actors' heads in a uh, jar and like letting the kind of comedy roll from there. The fact that Richard Nixon is like president throughout most of this thing is great. It is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And... president of Earth. So I'm not going to lie, the fact that I can't access, like, future, the, the Futurama isn't around during this current presidency makes me sad because I feel like they would be doing a lot of great things. Yeah. I feel like they, they might make be able, me less sad. Yeah, I feel like they would take it better than, because South Park did a pretty okay job with, like, running with the whole President Trump thing, but, like, I feel like Futurama would just nail it across the head. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Because, like, they would nail it both humor, deep, and, like, like it, it would it would cut it. It yeah. would cut it down. Bring it back, Matt. Not not this Matt, but, you know, other Matt. Uh, writer Matt. Bring it back. Well, Richard, and, Richard Nixon made a bot to just destroy everybody. Yeah, Agnew. Uh, <laughs> uh, so good. Even past that, like many of the side characters are just basically just characters that we see as other actors or, from, or references to pop culture. So I think like the two biggest ones I can think of off the top of my head were Zap Brannigan, who is basically just like a mix yep. of Captain Kirk and William Shatner. And then Chef Elzar, who's like an alien chef, has catchphrases and basically acts like um, Emeril Lagasse, essentially. Yeah. So you have like those references even in them with the characters that are in the show they're like oh yeah that reminds me of xyz person which i think is really really cool and a really great way to kind of ground this and like yeah this is a thousand years in the future but we haven't really changed all that much so question are we going to talk about evil robot santa um i didn't really have he's, he's kind of a favorite santa evil robot is santa is kind of a favorite what did you want to talk only, about? Well, no, that? only because like I feel like the American Dad Krampus stuff is just freaking lifted. 
from Evil Robot Santa. Yeah, Evil Robot Santa is really, really cool. I think it's like the first time where you're like, oh, wait, some things really have changed. Like that and like the uh, Oktoberfest episode. Oh, yeah. Where it's not really just about drinking anymore. Uh, it's, you know, about being civilized and fry drinks out of a water spit thing to get drunk. <laughs> they do have those subtle differences. You're like, oh, okay, wait, maybe the future has changed a lot. <laughs> I also just genuinely like evil robots. Well, I mean, also show with the whole robot thing because they try to make an algorithm and they learn that, oh, it's just going to end up killing everybody. Nobody's. Yeah. And they find that out multiple times. Yeah. Like, they do different things with robots that always just ends in, like, oh, destruction. Yeah. It's Except for the one time better. where they all made them burp into the air and move doesn't save us from global warming. Oh, yeah. That's true. And they had to save the turtle. Yeah, he had to roll over and find out that he can, you know, roll over on his stomach. So then I think just from there, like, because it's set in the future, it allows the writers to kind of play with sci-fi tropes and kind of play off of things like Star Trek and Star Wars and the Jetsons and, you know, a alien invasion stuff with, like, things like World of the Worlds and, like, a lot more. So they even have, you know, sound effects from these shows. So the things that you hear from Star Trek and, like, the Jetsons and things like that, are actually lifted from those sounds to kind of have that reference point for their, the person who's watching, which I think is super, super cool. I mean, they even bring back the entire original Star Trek cast basically for that entire episode, um, all about kind of like the Star Trek knowledge with the you know, evil or the gas cloud guy. So I think they do that better than, you know, an episode of like Family Guy where they bring in all the people from the next generation. I like the way that. Futurama does it better than you like that guy. better than when Stewie does it and he ends up being like I hate all of you yeah because I liked all of the actual <laughs> actors actually being there I thought it was hilarious <laughs> not that I don't like that episode of Family Guy I love like that, that episode of Family Guy is great like when, they're, when they're when they're in the drive-thru that's definitely like the best part of that entire episode <laughs> Patrick Dewey just kept trying to order things <laughs> but there's this ability to kind of use sci-fi things um, is probably I think, like, a reference that you're like, okay, well, they're probably going to do Star Trek stuff. But they just do it well enough that it's not kind of beating you over the head with it. Yeah. Um, you know, even to, like, things like sliding doors, having the same sliding door sounds as Star Trek, I think is, like, subtle differences and kind of subtle add-ins that make it good. And I think that that's why people like it so much is because, like, it is literally, like, there's a culmination of every single science fiction trope, story, identity that we've seen as a culture is Futurama. Like that, the the showrunners creatively have put together like this nice little soup of sci-fi culture. And it works so well because one, you can tell they're fans of it. And two, they give you like hard callbacks while still creating a new story and a new world with them, which is one of the reasons why I like Disenchantment a lot, but I don't like it as much as I thought I would because I thought they were going to do the same thing with High Fantasy and Disenchantment. I think that is a excellent point, and yeah, that is basically why I I like Disenchantment, but I feel like I would like it more if they just kind of took it the same way they did Futurama. Like that's perfect, perfect way to say that. And we kind of already talked about it. Like they make the future funny with their references, but not necessarily like post post apocalyptic. Like they even make fun of like the post apocalyptic things that have happened in the future. So like the one that jumps out in my head the most is like where they're making fun of the. Uh, Planet of the Apes scene with the Statue of Liberty. And they're like, oh, you bastards, you blew it up. And then the ape culture, you know, they blew up their Statue of Liberty. 
And then like they just kind of go through it like that just to kind of get to where they were. So it's just like super stuff like that. So making it funny. But now that I think about it and we talked about it earlier, like it's not as funny because I feel like we would just drop an ice cube in the ocean <laughs> at this point to uh, to kind of subvert global warming, which isn't as funny as when I first did these notes, actually. Yeah, it, it's kind of sad. Um, but I also think uh, doesn't doesn't Fry like sleep through multiple post apocalyptic or apocalyptic events? Yes. Yeah, okay. that's what I thought. But he's also the most interdimensional person in a lot of these events because he's stupid. So like, yeah, that like the whole brain episode, like where he doesn't generate enough brain waves for them to read his mind. <laughs> stupid, stupid stuff. And I, I think that's a perfect segue into an area of the show that I'm not super excited to talk about because some of these episodes, like I, I skip on Hulu because I don't want to watch them. Um, so despite like some of like the slapstick and like satirical humor. There, the show really does have heartfelt and emotional episodes, and we're going to talk about some of the ones that come to mind when I think about some of the heartfelt episodes and deep episodes that Futurama is able to kind of convey. You know, even if it has things like dropping an ice cube um, in the ocean to stop global warming, or having Richard Nixon operate a giant robot body as he is the president of the Earth. So, kind of this for me is goes in like most like least emotional to like most emotional and i think we know what the end one's going to be but so the first one that i think of is the lethal inspection episode and this one this is the episode essentially that gives us kind of the history of bender's creation and how hermes who is basically like the accountant you know bureaucrat of the planet express company had a role to play in it and basically showing that like hermes basically saved him from like not being or from uh being i can't even think of the word what's the word uh decommissioned or being defective yeah. and things like that. Um, but it has a really, really beautiful end scene where the little bird, little bird song is playing and Hermes is like resigning. And we show him as like a young bureaucrat, um, basically saving Bender who, like we mentioned before, his first words are bite my shiny metal ass while he's drinking a beer. And Hermes saves him from that. And so really just kind of, it's a different kind of episode where you wouldn't think Hermes and Bender would basically be leading episodes together, but they're able to do it well enough in that kind of episode where you're like, okay, this works because it shows more background on characters that we care about. Um, the next one, the late Philip J. Fry. And this is the episode where uh, Fry, the professor and Bender are all thrown into the future and Leela thinks that Fry is like late to one of their dates again, but it, they fi they fi they find out that like they're gone forever. And Leela basically lives out her entire life thinking that Fry, you know, didn't want to be with her or whatever the case is. And essentially, Leela finds out that they got sent into the future. So Leela shoots a message into the ceiling of a cavern for Fry to see via drips of stalagmites. Um, and we get that, you know, really, really nice. This was message. a very sad episode. Yeah, but it's also a very good episode because they go through future. Dude, the future song out. is so good. It, it is so good. It's so sad. It's like, ah, oh, I hate. Yeah, that it's episode. a tough one. It's it's I a really really episode. tough episode. Yeah, it's it's like I tried think to do the right thing the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's stuck. It's a tough episode because there's really funny moments of like when they're going through history and you have that song with that that's playing in the background. He tries to shoot Hitler and misses hit Dwight out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like it's really, really good, but you still have that end moment of like you don't know if they're gonna get back together. Yeah, really, really sad. Um Isn't that we, one of the last ones? 
It's closer, yeah, it's closer to the end. I think it's season six or seven. I think closer to the end of season six or season seven, one of the two. Then Luck of the Fryish, which we talked about earlier with the um, uh, the quantum theory kind of mark. But this is the episode where Fry learns, um, or we, where we as like the the viewer learn about Fry's seven leaf clover that he had in the twentieth or the twentieth century that he used to kind of basically be lucky. And this entire time, he thought that his brother Gansey stole it and used its luck to eventually become the first man on Mars because he runs into a statue of someone named Philip J. Fry, who is the first person on Mars. And they have the seventh leaf clover attached to his shirt. So he thinks that his brother Yancey stole his name and became the first person on Mars, even though that he, that was kind of Fry's goal all along. Uh, but it turns out that's actually his nephew, Yancey's little, uh, Nancy's little boy. And he named him Philip J. Fry to carry on his brother's spirit. Which, to me, was very, very sad. You also have, kind of in the same kind of realm of Fry remembering his old memories, Game of Tones, which is one of the like, one of like the last episodes in the show. One, I don't I like watching this episode because I hate that tone. I hate this episode. I hate that tone so much, but if I can get past it, the kind of ending it has is very, um, very emotional. So this is a flashback episode where basically the people have to go... the crew of the um, Planet Express, you know, company have to kind of go back into Fry's old memories to kind of, you know, X, Y, Z, plot, plot, plot. But basically during this process, Fry is reliving memories um, and reliving moments with his family, with his mom, with his dog Seymour. And this episode primarily revolves around him trying to get closure with, with his mom and being able to say what he needed to say. But a lot of it kind of doesn't really work well because his mom is basically has how he remembered and as her, he remembers her as like a football loving cheese head. So he's not able to really kind of interact with her. But by the end, he basically gets to go into his mom, his mom's memory and they get to have kind of a nice little moment. And they give you like a little flashback of his mom waking up from a dream, looking at a picture of Fry, which is very sad um, and is why, you know, getting frozen in the year 3000 might be harder than I thought. Because before we get yeah. to this one, I do want to mention one. Um, I do like when they do um, how we get Zoidberg. Yeah, that was one I was going to put on here, but I wasn't sure how y'all felt about that one. But that one definitely is a really great episode. Do you want to talk like uh, talk about uh, plot for it? So basically, because you, you always wonder, because Zoidberg's basically comic relief. Everybody doesn't like him, et cetera, et cetera. And you never found out like why Zoidberg is actually here until you figure out that when you go back far enough. Him and the professor were on this dangerous mission in which basically Zoidberg saved the professor's life. And basically, I will never forget, <laughs> never forget you, Zoidberg. And always, and so Zoidberg is always there with him. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one that I want to bring up before we go to this one, it's the one with the flute where he tries to play Leela's song. Yeah. I got that on here. I promise. I yes. Promise. That, that one was in here. That's why I didn't talk about yeah. it. I, I oh, promise. Okay. Yeah, because that, that's a really good one too. I think another honorable mention for sure is the one where like kind of Leela finds out about her her parents, kind of how we talked about earlier, how her parents have kind of always been there because they're mutants and they can't be on the surface, but they've kind of been helping her along because Leela thinks she's been an orphan all her life, but she actually had parents. Again, it's a really really good episode, um, but it's kind of we just kind of hit hit on it so much that I didn't know if it was you know worthy of being on the list, but yeah, um, I think definitely a good honorable mention because. One of kind of like the biggest and deepest episodes and the episode that people really didn't like that I put as the gif for our fan. But why those was the scene from Jurassic Park. And this is 
basically the episode with the the dead dog, despite the intro saying not the episode with the dead dog, um, <laughs> where Fry is basically trying to clone and revive his dead dog Seymour. And I skip this episode all the time. I'd never watched this episode literally ever because it's super depressing. Um, and reading through it, apparently, like this, this was supposed to be the episode about his mom, but the showrunners thought it'd be too depressing. Um, to have both of those things happening? Uh, <laughs> yes, so, a little bit. Not, yeah. So basically, at the end of the episode, we see Fry's in the future, but his dog Seymour basically comes back to the same pizza place where Fry worked every day and basically does it for, you know, however long and basically dies waiting for Fry to come back, which is hella sad. And it's even sadder because I found out that Seymour is yeah. actually based off of a real dog who used to um, greet a professor in Tokyo every single day. And then the professor suddenly died and the dog returned every day for nine months at the exact same time from the train waiting for the professor to come. Yeah. So the dog's name is Hachi. And uh, they made him. There's an American movie about it, and there are a few Japanese movies about him. And then there's actually a statue of Hachi yeah. at that stop that he waited. Yeah. Because um, he this like is, meant that much. Yeah. This is literally getting added to our stop for our Japan trip because I want to go see this dog who I would hope our dogs would wait at least, you know. Yeah. I think he was two. an Akita. Yeah. He was an Akita. Yeah. Yeah, but no, Hachi, because, like, I've I've watched, like, so much of that, and that's one of the reasons why, like, the moment they started showing it in the, in the episode, I was like, oh, God, don't. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. And then they did it. Yeah, and, and they knew what they were doing, too, because they literally put, because if you aren't familiar with kind of, like, the intro with, with Futurama, kind of the same way that, you know, The Simpsons and some of the American Dad did, the intro kind of has something a little bit different for the episode, and what Futurama does is that before it kind of gets into the episode, they have like a tagline. And this one was literally not the episode with the dead dog in the very beginning. And then they lied. There was a dead dog in there. And basically like Fry could have brought back Seymour as like a clone dog, but he thought, Oh no, Seymour lived a good life and he doesn't need to be brought back. I hate this. But he died waiting for him. All right. Mm. Moving on from there. I'm sorry to everyone who saw that gif on our fan, but why those on our Twitter? Because now I feel bad. You should feel bad. Yeah. That was a bad move, and I should feel bad. And I do. Everybody um, wanted you to feel bad. Because <laughs> you made everybody feel I bad. I think that more people actually interacted saying, you should feel bad for this, than actually telling us why they like me. Yep. Hey, yep. you know, you got you to gotta play to what people want. Which is what I think writers of Futurama do when they kind of do their maybe endings, which we kind of talked about earlier. So in terms of like the deep writing, there are satisfying endings to the show that even if the writers weren't even super sure that this was going to be like the end, they did it well enough where even if it was the end, it'd be fine. And this happens basically on two occasions. So uh, the devil's hands um, are idle playthings is basically the episode where Fry makes a deal with robot devil to get the robot hands and he's able to play this flute thing that allows him to kind of play his thoughts into you know a musical symphony and he uses that to kind of win over leela and at the end of the episode we find he gets his hands back and he's not able to play the instrument as well as he could but the episode ends with like fry playing it and it's kind of like this rudimentary scene of him and leela together 
and we don't know if they ever really ends up with them getting together, but it's a nice little moment. At it's the freaking very, heartfelt. Yeah, also, the reason I jumped ahead because it was like the first thing I like the first thing I thought about because I forgot the, I forgot about the devil stuff. I just remembered the flute. Um, was because like the episode I remember the most of the devil is the devil went down to Georgia where they do the fiddle contest. Yeah, and he <laughs> and, and she beats episode. his ass with a golden fiddle. Yep, because <laughs> it would weigh hundreds of pounds and it would sound awfully. Yep, I <laughs> love that episode. I also love that song. So yeah. So yeah, so that would have been the that was the last episode for season four. So if it would have ended there, I think, and it would have never came back, I think people would have been okay with that ending. Um, luckily, we do get um, another ending. So meanwhile is the last episode of season seven, and this is the episode essentially where Fry and Leela are basically frozen in time, and they're basically the last two on Earth, and they kind of live out an entire lifetime. And it's the big moment is you know I was never truly lonely not even for a minute because they basically lived out in a whole lifetime where they traveled the world. They did all of these things. Um, but for, you know, plot reasons, they're able to get brought back into the proper time stream essentially. And, you know, Fry asks her if she's ready for, if Leela's ready for another go round. Um, and then Leela basically says, yes, like, let's do that again. Uh, so very heartfelt moment of like, they're willing to live out a whole nother lifetime together. Um, basically two end caps to, a show where the showrunners really never thought it would end, but it's done so well that I think, like Matt said earlier, like we're we're okay with it capping off there and being okay. Considering we've had a lot of shows, I think we brought up before on some episodes of like Netflix doing these things where they kind of try to make these half endings because we don't know what they're doing with a lot of shows, whether they're going to renewed, not renewed. So we get these like half bow tie shows that are like wrapped up so well, but they're kind of in the blend of what they did, except they kind of suck. Versus these two were done like phenomenally very well. Yeah, I I, I agree for sure. I think that kind of points um, to what Kate said of like that that devils play um, devils hands are idle playthings, being as one of like the best episodes of the show, and that just happened to be the season finale for season four. So, funny things I actually forgot for a long time that that was the last actual episode. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't remember that either until I was going back through my rewatch. Um, but those are definitely two of my favorite episodes for sure. Yeah. And I thought they were a lot more connected. I didn't realize that there was three seasons separating those, basically. Um, yeah, no. But it kind of sh- it gives a good payoff, you know. Like Fry and Leela don't just kind of get together; they have a long-standing thing that it takes a while for that to even happen. And I like really enjoy that. I really, really enjoy that. It's like hard to watch sometimes and it gets kind of sad, but it's one of those things too that like it keeps, I don't know, it keeps the show fresh. It doesn't get stale. I don't know if that makes sense because like I hate it when couples get together and shows half the time because then it just goes bad because you lose a lot of the, the, like the interplay b- between them. But I've like, I'm fine with all of the things that involves fry and leah and endings well what you get in here too especially these sad ones because a lot of times like you have the one you know it messes up or it doesn't get stale because basically fry's an idiot it's also the, <laughs> yeah so like he purposely does do wrong thing or leah's like i you know fry too dumb i don't like this and do other stuff so obviously you never have like a pure connection but when you get down to it it's you get these things when things do go right or then you get like the cavern one where it was truly not his fault. Yeah. 
really, really good. So despite like everything that we talked about, there really are some deep moments here that um, are super long lasting. Yeah. I was gonna have one more of the uh since we're talking about that. They have the one where <laughs> Fry um it's they talk about parallel universes in which Fry basically flips a coin. Yeah. We learned that basically he flipped a coin in his universe, he got heads, and him and Lilo were never together, and then the other flew into tails, and they lived this like nice life together. Yeah, that's a really good um, episode, too. They actually go into Universe 1729 in that one, too. So another reference. <laughs> so that's kind of all I have for kind of the why those. I mean, I think just kind of like at its heart, like it's a smart show that has lots of really great references that don't beat you over the head with it. But despite all of that, there are still a lot of deep, you know, emotional cuts there that are kind of hard to find. Like, I can't think of episodes of, like, even as much as I love Family Guy and American Dad, like, I can't think of, like, the devil's, you know, play, like, the devil, like, the devil's hands episode. Or I can't think of a Seymour episode in any of, like, those other shows. But I do vividly remember those when I think about Futurama. So, fun facts. So, the show's name actually comes from an exhibit at the 1939 New York World Fair. Uh, the, uh, the exhibit had the same name, and it basically predicted what life would look like in 1959. So, that's where the show's name comes from. Uh, Professor Farnsworth named is, he's named after Philio Farnsworth, The Adventure of the Television, which, if you watch the show, makes a lot of sense because uh, Professor Farnsworth does a lot of things with TVs and like showing stuff on the TV, so it makes a whole lot of sense. The Planet Express ship, the one that they use to do all the deliveries, is supposed to be the I don't know how true this is, but I saw it like on a graphic like years ago and it seemed pretty legit, so I'm just gonna say it anyway. Uh, it's the third fastest ship that we've seen in the media behind the Tartarus from Doctor Who and the Heart of Gold from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because you know it's a cartoon so they go stupid fast in basically anything some other ones fry's outfit is modeled after james dean's famous outfit from rebel without a cause and leela's outfit in a white tank is supposed to be a nod from ripley from alien and other sci-fi heroines so very specific outfit choices that the writers decided to go with which kind of goes back to their ability to kind of do referential humor so frank Welker, who is the voice of Nibbler, who Kate referred to as, what would you say, the perfect quote, baby? Quote, a perfect baby, unquote. Yeah. yeah. He's actually voiced by the same guy who, do, who does the voice of Megatron in the original Transformers, which I was very surprised by because Nibbler does have a kind of a deep voice, but I didn't think Megatron deep. And then my last one, because I wanted to finish off with something science-y, was Stephen Hawking voices himself in both Futurama and The Simpsons, but not in Family Guy. And I think because they use Stephen Hawking better in And those were my uh, fun facts that weren't kind of covered on, on some of the other things that we talked about in the rest of the episode. Fun fact, if you look up Nibbler on Google Images, you will get pictures of dogs in Nibbler costumes. And it's adorable. I would like to see that. I want that in my life, actually. <laughs> so we'll jump through some fan, but why those? Some of them are actually fan, but why those? But some of those are people just yelling at me for using the Seymour. A gift. lot of them are people <laughs> yeah. just yelling at you for using that gift. <laughs> and I don't blame them. I think I yelled at you for using that gift. Sorry, man. Our social media is popping. All members, I saw it posted and I put it in the chat. 
who the hell put use this gif on this? I like if Matt feels that way. Hey, you know, hey, our site is popping, and I had to find the gift that would get the most people interested in writing about Futurama, and it worked out for the most part. So they wanted to come at you with pitchforks. They they did they did, uh, but they also came. So they're gonna get shout outs. <laughs> at least they're here. <laughs> so at pilots and batards, yes. So many great things. I'm just going to go with the show's insanely deep bench. So many amazing and hilarious characters, but none greater than the lovable, hateable Dr. Zoidberg crab emoji. And he put us the gif of poor Zoidberg, which is a normal thing. Um, at Evan's Beard, this isn't a fan, but why though? But this just kind of shows the kind of comments that we had on this post. Why would you show this gif, you monsters, in all caps? is what we got there. Um, at Bruce the girl, I'm forever glad that he got a second chance and we got the full story that Fry went back in time and got to live um, out Seymour's days happily and full of joy and companionship. Good stuff. At Serial Sensei, I was really late on watching the show, but when I started, I watched every single episode. Long live Nibbler. And Nibbler, a.k.a. The, the Perfect, perfect baby. baby. At Obsidian underscore blue just has a gif of Fry shouting into a uh, megaphone backwards saying, stop acting so stupid, which I think <laughs> is what we all need in our life with Kurt. I also think affairs. it was in reaction to your dog picture, your dog gif. I would like to think that he's being very deep <laughs> giving me shit. So, <laughs> at, I'm going to mispronounce Dane's name. Uh, at Dane Susidia? Sure. Saucedo? But it's not Saucedo, though. Saucedia. There's an oh. A there. Oh, I, I don't... You have that pulled up. I, yeah, I've never them, seen... They're I've not in the Google it. Doc, Adrian. Well, I pulled them off of Matt's thing. Um, so, because I've always, I've always seen... I've never seen it with an A at the end, so I wasn't sure if it... You know, different. But anyway, he has the man with no name... With the man with no name, Zap Brannigan. And I give Zap Brannigan squinting eyes. And that is all we have. I know that that Charles had co-tweeted us for one, but I just could not find it in the vast amount that Charles supports everybody. He has a lot of tweets and he supports a lot of people and I couldn't find his quote anywhere. So Charles, I'm sorry I missed it, but I remember reading it thinking, hey, this is really good. Because I know that Charles had kind of referenced that we should do a Futurama episode in the past. So here you go, buddy. Just for you, but not really just for you, but yeah, here we are. But those are all our fan, but why those? The rest of them are just people yelling at me for posting the Seymour gif. So, uh, but hey, here we are. There was like 20 wee tweets or something like that for it. So, oh my yeah. God. Got that going so many people were mad. <laughs> but, but that's and all I got. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. I know, I know. But that's all I got. Um, I didn't know what our final thoughts were. Because we're running a little long, and then we can get people out of here on what we think about Futurama. Uh, Matt, um, this is probably my favorite animation show. I mean, obviously, as we get more and more ones, you have to reevaluate. But overall, I know growing up and everything else, this is by far my favorite one. I still watch this all the way on up to Netflix until they canceled it. No matter what, um, I had two great endings and it has a lot of episodes. I've seen all the episodes at least multiple times because I've watched all seasons over and over again. 
what they seem to do with this thing. Um, I recommend it to anybody. There is a lot of gems in there. There's a lot of heartfelt moments. There's also a lot of stupid moments. It's it's comedy that I enjoy. It's why I've had high hope for Disenchantment and as much as I like it. Um, I'm just hoping that maybe season two is going to be even better because I feel like it ended pretty well. So I, I don't know. This is basically defined of the mid-2000s or the early, yeah, the mid-2000s of like animation for the most part. So yeah, I think for me, like kind of to echo Matt, like I think when I when I think of like adult animation and when I think of like that era of TV, um, I'm kind of I'm happy that it ended when it did a little bit because I feel like Family Guy and American Dad have gone on too long. Maybe American Dad less so, but Family Guy's gone on too long. And I feel like Futurama like was like forcibly bowed out but bowed out like with still this great memory in my head and again like as in like as a huge fan of sci-fi it is just amazing to me to see how well something can both parody it um be satirical and really focus on actually like representing stuff the way that they did and I think that it's really rare to find a show that kind of fires on all of those cylinders um and I really enjoy it and that Seymour episode wrecked me and I actually did not see it on Cartoon Network or on Comedy Central and the first time I watched it was with Matt and I cried a lot so there you go internet don't watch that episode because monsters yeah Go watch the episode though, because it's really great. It'll make you go hug your dog. It's so sad. It's also super sad. And even sad when you realize it's like an actual dog did that. Like so. so like my my mom still has Leia from like the South by Southwest stuff. And I really miss my puppy right now. And I really wish we hadn't recorded tonight. So just saying. <laughs> well, you know, she would wait for Matt, probably. No, she wouldn't wait. No, no, she has, Matt has the best chance of her waiting for him, but she would get bored. And so long as she sees somebody with food, like if somebody with pizza walked by that damn spot, she'd leave. That's just my dog, but I love her. Makes sense. I mean, my, you know, but why those are basically, I think we've, we've kind of talked about and a lot of the same things that you and Matt have talked about as well as our kind of fan, but why those? Um, I think it's, I think it's S tier adult animation mainly because of all of the kind of big moments that happen inside of it that I don't know if I get with my other adult animations, maybe because they've gone on for so long, you know, you know, even South Park at this point is needs to just kind of, kind of stop. But I think kind of those seven seasons, even if you know five and seven aren't like the best seasons, there still are really good moments in there. And then like we talked about before, it caps off good enough where I'm okay if it never comes back because I know that as long as it's streaming on Hulu, I can watch it, but if it leaves Hulu, I'm probably going to have like an existential crisis and not know to watch when I go to sleep. Um, but yeah, the, show, the show's great and it's celebrating the 20th anniversary. So if you have an opportunity to go watch it or go rewatch it, I would. If you have any other moments that we didn't get to mention, because there are, you know, 140 episodes. So if you miss one of the ones that you really want to talk about, you know, get at us on Twitter and let's talk about it. And I'm sorry. The only other one I could think of episode that we probably should, that I could take off the top of my head was the one where, um, Fry gets stung by a bee to save Leela, and it's a whole dream. Yeah, that was also very sad. 
I would say majority of the Fry and Leela episodes are just immensely depressing. They're very tragic, though. It's they do it very well, though, because it is one of these. It's just nothing. Nothing works. Yeah. Work out in the end, though. Yeah. Yeah. And the voice casting cast is great. Like we kind of mentioned at the top, and I think I just want to reiterate it again. Like this voice acting cast is super, super good. Even though they only have, you know, was like six or seven voice actors doing all of these characters in such different ways, it shows kind of like, you know, we need more of more diverse casts like this because they're all pretty diverse voice actors and people. Plus, that's the best intro for sure. Yeah, 100%. except the one where they said it's not about the dead dog, and actually was about the dead dog. All right, Kate, uh... let's get us out of here so I can stop thinking about Seymour. Yeah, so I do want to say if you want, because we've had a lot of people sending us, or you know, we've had a bit of people asking us about like if they can request episodes in shows or wanting to look at our schedule, which we've gone back to planning a month in advance. Yay, us for scheduling. You can actually find all that on our Patreon. So at the, if you're a $3 patron or more, you get access to the Patreon uh, Discord channel where we list our schedule as well as, you know, talk in there about, with you about episodes and stuff like that. At the $1 level, you get access to our episodes at least a day early unless something big comes up like South by Southwest. Apologies on this. $10, you pick the movie, we watch it. And for $25, you can uh, pick our topic and tell us what you want us to cover. So that's there at patreon.com slash PC. And make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And you can find us on at But Why the PC on all of our social medias. And you can find me at Randier on Twitter. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Where you can yell at me for using Seymour GIF at SuperEase93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z, 93. And Matt? I'm going to finish my six-pack watching the sun explode. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God, Matt. <laughs>